This is an ABC podcast. You're listening to The Country Hour on ABC Radio South Australia and Broken Hill. Hello, Brooke Nindorf with you. Thanks for your company. Just a shorter show again today in the lunch break of the cricket. We'll have a weather update for you at about 12.30. Plus also, Livestock SA is putting the call out because they want to know who needs a hand with fodder for livestock in flooded areas. We've been alerted by primary industries that there may be some producers that are badly or are affected by the floods and have restricted access to their wetlands and some fodder and they may need some short-term fodder requirements. We'll have more on that shortly and also on how you can donate fodder as well. But first today, are you still going with harvest? Well, while receival records are being broken, a wetter spring is seeing many grain growers out on their headers much later than usual. As the end of the harvest does draw near, though, Teaport's business development manager, Tim Gurney, tells Dimitri Panagiotaris that it's been a positive season overall, despite some challenges. Oh, it's gone exceptionally well, uh, given the yields, you know, uh, wet spring, uh, wet November, dry December, you know, really growers have had, you know, four to six weeks to bring a nearly well, a record crop across South Australia into, into the silos. So, you know, quality-wise, it's, um, it's hung on. Um, the protein's been down slightly on a, on a versus a normal dry finish, but, you know, as far as any um, shot grain instances like there was, you know, last season, yeah, we've managed to dodge that um, that event and, you know, had a dry December and it's just, you know, been fantastic from from Teaport's perspective just to see the crop come in so quickly and provide that extra elevation for the growers. And as you mentioned earlier, it's a positive year in terms of reaching records. Were the records broken this year? Oh, I would have thought so, yeah. yeah. Um, harvest is not quite finished yet. You know, there's probably a week or 10 days to go, but certainly three peninsula growers, you know, the record I think was around 3.3 million tonnes in 2016 and we'd be pushing very close to four, if not just over four million tonnes um, this year for the Air Peninsula. So the bumper crop that was predicted was actually achieved? Yeah, generally... Um, you know, come sort of, you know, mid-October, a, a tonne is a tonne. You know, the yield is the yield, uh, but, you know, it's probably only the quality that's affected and apart from, you know, some strong winds and some hail around the place with some, some thunderstorms that push a few heads down on the ground that can't be uh, picked up, um, really the, the impact from the weather this harvest has been minimal. We've had uh, some severe weather storms and some disease pressure about, not to mention the, the high input costs. Are farmers coming in quite positive as it wraps up? Yeah, they're wrapped. They're absolutely wrapped. You know, these um, seasons like this really kickstart um, the growers to plan for the next five years of strategic planning and growth on their farms as well. So it's fantastic, not just for the growers, but for the regional communities. You know, you know growers obviously invest or buy more farms or more tractors or fridges or put another bedroom on the house, whatever it might be. So it's great for rural communities when you have seasons like this. And speaking of uh, the rural community, you're also there with Ben Wondersitz, who's the chairman and the co-founder of Fat Farmers, which is a rural health initiative. Ben, how have you felt farmers have got on this season? Look, I, I think it's been, well, it'll be a bin buster, really. It'll be the biggest season we've had since 2015. So... Oh, it's just great. Um, it's great for farmers. It's great for the local economy. Yeah, it's good. And how has the initiative supported farmers along the way? Oh, look, we're very much a, a, a grass grassroots initiative. So really, we just encourage farmers, probably more so out of season, to, to look after their health, to put 
together a local fitness group and just uh, I suppose we promote those tough conversations when when things necessarily aren't, aren't going well. And have farmers been responsive to those those wellbeing circles or, or those fitness initiatives? Yeah, look, they have. Um, I think like anything in men's health, it's very slow to change. So, you know, we've got about 12 groups throughout the state now. And, and it's really just, I suppose, is really just to get men to look after their health and to, you know, get off farm and get to a local gym or put to, together a local fitness group. And, you know, and that's just, um, it, it gives them time away from the farm, particularly when the, the seasons aren't great and to uh, um, perhaps socialise with other people that they wouldn't be. And what's in store for fat farmers in the future in terms of projects and uh, now that it's, I guess, coming to a quieter season? Oh, look, we're at a really exciting time with the partnership with Teaports and we've got some other some other partners. So, look, it's going to give us more resources really to grow. And so we're currently looking to develop groups in regions where we don't have them. And, and that'll also um, include some sort of mental health events. And often we just look, there's other speakers coming around, but often it's, it's tough to get uh, men along to those rural events. So not only doing, doing our own work, but su- supporting other um, initiatives um, throughout the state. Fat Farmers co-founder Ben Wallisitz speaking with Demetria Panagiotaris. Let's move to the flood situation now. And irrigation trusts say the risk of River Murray floodwater damaging their infrastructure will remain until flows drop to 120 gigalitres a day. It comes as growers and customers are being urged to more regularly check their filters and flush their pipes with more organic matter in waterways. Chief Executive at Central Irrigation Trust, Greg McCarran, says he's pleased that all pump services have continued uninterrupted. The peak is starting to pass through the upper reaches of the river in South Australia. Look, our infrastructure's held up well during the high flow event and the high flow event that continues on. Certainly it was higher in some locations than was expected and certainly some of our infrastructure um, had had higher flows than it's seen for many, many years. But we've been able to continue pumping at all of our sites. We haven't had any interruptions at our sites uh, to date from the high flow event. Certainly we've had to take some actions at some of our sites to sandbag some some locations for temporarily uh, to keep some higher flows out. We've had to manage some uh, loss of access, so that's been reasonably significant at a couple of sites. We haven't been able to get there by vehicle for some weeks uh, to some of our larger sites, so our staff has been using boats to go out there with the assistance of SA Water, so we've been able to visit our sites. But when we've visited, everything has been good and pumping has continued Probably the area that has impacted us just more, more recently was down at the Mopalonga area where they've had some levee banks burst down there and we have some pumping infrastructure located near the area that is currently flooded. And whilst our pumping infrastructure is out of the water and still operating, there is some power supplies out to that pump station which are now inundated with water through poles in the water around the transformer which has a levy bank around it is being protected and monitored by South Australian Power Networks at the moment. So that's probably the one we're watching more closely at the moment. Certainly in the upper reaches, things, things are going well. Is there any uh, recovery or extra maintenance that CIT will be needing to do, especially as the floodwaters uh, begin to recede and the, and the peak passes? Certainly we'll be going through each, each of our areas and working out whether we need to do any work, whether that's around pump stations. So as waters recede, whether there's any you know, logs and, and submerged 
stuff that's been caught up underneath our pump stations that need to be removed. We, we will have to reinstate our drainage system that connects into the river, so our irrigation drainage system has had to be blocked over the high water event to reduce the backflow of water up into irrigated properties. We'll have to reinstate that. And certainly for some of our customers, they've been impacted by having their properties inundated in a number of locations, so they'll be facing the clean-up from that, whether that's through just debris and stuff on their properties or unfortunately some may experience direct impacts on their planting so whether that's vine, grapevines or citrus trees that might be impacted through right through to those trees dying off because of flooding and they will have to deal with that problem. And uh, yeah, I guess any advice for anyone uh, in the CIT uh, network, um, first of all, for primary producers in terms of uh, flushing out pipes or, or anything to do with pumps that people should continue to, to do or that they might already be or that they should do if they're not doing already? Oh, certainly the growers who have, we've now seen the level of water use increase as we've seen the warm weather arrive finally. Those growers will be experiencing the impacts of the water quality which is obviously a little bit poorer than is normally seen and is starting to impact on their ability to filter water and will impact on, on that for some weeks ahead and those growers that are involved in that obviously are certainly communicating with us where that's reached a stage where they need us to, to come and have a, have a look to see whether we can flush a line where that might help but at times it's the quality of the water is, is the major problem and we can't change that. Certainly for our household customers the water quality will remain an issue for some weeks ahead as we see the floodwaters pass through, through our region and as that water comes back off backwaters and back into the main channel the water quality may even be impacted more greatly. Certainly we're staying in communication with other government authorities around water quality and certainly we'll make it known to our customers that there's any risk around health and the, and the like with that but unfortunately the quality of the water in the river is the limiting factor of, of the quality of the water we're, we're able to provide to our customers. Chief Executive at Central Irrigation Trust, Greg McCarran, speaking with Eliza Burlarch. Brooke Nindorf with you today. It's 20 minutes past 12. You're listening to The Country Hour on ABC Radio South Australia and Broken Hill. Now, the floods are moving through Australia's inland areas and they've been inundating vineyards in three states. It's decimated some crops and fences and irrigation equipment have been damaged, which will probably affect the size of the next vintage. Lee McLean is the CEO of Australian Grape and Wine and told David Clawton it's been a difficult period for growers. Well, there's, there's no doubt that the 2023 vintage is throwing a hell of a lot at a number of different growing regions across the country, and that has certainly been felt in New South Wales, Victoria, and now South Australia. The good news is that for a lot of those grape growers out there who have experienced flooding, this isn't the case across all vineyards, but in a, in a, a lot of vineyards, is that when the floodwaters uh, come into the vineyard, if they sit there for a period and then the, the floodwaters recede, the, the vines are usually okay, but there is always some impact on things like trellising and posts and irrigation infrastructure uh, and in the vines' ability to produce fruit in the 2023 vintage as well in some instances. And are there large numbers of vineyards that are in those sort of floodplain areas or, or you know, in areas that generally are affected by flooding? There are. So Australia's three sort of major producing areas are, are all inland irrigated regions. So areas like the Riverina in New South Wales, the Murray Valley in Victoria uh, and the Riverland in South Australia. And all of those have experienced either flooding or very wet conditions over the last couple of months. 
But the other big issue for a number of them, and I know this is particularly evident in places like the Riverina, is that there's been pretty significant disease pressure in some of those regions. And, and part of that is due to the fact that, A, it's been wet, but B, it's been so wet that you can't get your machinery, your tractors and sprayers and the like in to, to actually mitigate the worst of it. So we were hearing reports out of Victoria of you know floods affecting Rutherglen and Barossa Valley in the Gamby Lakes region. A couple of vineyards had barrels of wine float away. Did you hear about that? Yeah, there was. There's been there's been a couple of reports of, of damage in certain certain businesses of significant crop losses and significant losses of, of products, which is always really challenging and, and difficult to deal with. Obviously, uh, thankfully, those sorts of uh, reports have been limited. So some people saying might have lost seventy five percent of their crop. But have you had a chance to assess? overall how it might affect production from Australian vineyards this year? Look, I think there's no doubt that production overall will be down, but it's too early to tell what that disease and flooding impact is going to be from a national level. But I'm tipping a a below average sized vintage for uh, 2023. What about dealing with these problems like Danny Mildrew or just getting on to the vineyards in order to do the, the work and spray the chemicals or, or whatever's required? Yeah, it's really, really challenging. Uh, so a number of regions, say the Hunter Valley, for example, and a couple of others have resorted to things like aerial spraying. Now, that obviously doesn't work in, in every instance, but it has provided some alleviation of the worst of the, the effects of some of those disease pressures in regions like that. It really depends on what kind of vineyard you're operating. If you are a, a small vineyard that is operating primarily uh, by hand, uh, your hand pruning, your hand um, spraying and all that sort of thing, uh, you can generally do your best to manage it. If you're working in a, a vineyard that is uh, larger, that is generally dealing with machinery, uh, that is much more challenging to to work through. Are you hearing that people are having to close their doors? Is it affecting the cellar door trade? I think in parts, but generally speaking with the Riverland in particular, there's been actually a real push to make sure people are actually travelling up to the Riverland because a lot of that area was still absolutely available to, to tourism and open for business. But there was a perception out there that due to the floodwaters, people weren't able to make their way out to see to see those wineries and, and cellar doors. There has been some damage to cellar doors in certain regions uh, across the country, uh, which has been very challenging for those businesses, of course. But most of the time when there has been flooding, you know, our businesses are pretty, pretty adaptable and resilient. They can get themselves up on their feet after a bit of a clean-up and, and open their doors pretty soon. Now, winemakers, generally speaking, don't like to talk about poor quality wine but what do you think it would do these kind of conditions in a season like this on the quality of the wine for the coming vintage well i mean one of the beauties about about wine is that you know if you're working on a on a single vineyard you will have variations through from year to year uh, and there'll be different sorts of conditions uh, and that's going to that's going to shine through in the wine from year to year. I, I think overall, what we'll what we'll likely see is that where there has been disease pressure uh, in some of those areas, you know, you will see some selection of the the best grapes that are available. So we may see a smaller vintage, but we'll see a, we'll see a high quality vintage nonetheless because people will be able to be a little bit more selective in what they're putting into the bottle. I suppose the silver lining in this too is is maybe twofold because there has been an oversupply of wine in recent years. And the other thing is if there's if there's a lot of water around, that, that bodes well for future uh, vintages, doesn't it, for growers? Well, the, the oversupply situation is, is interesting. And of course, we are in the midst of a, a really significant oversupply situation and that's directly attributable to what has happened with China 
imposing those trade uh, restrictions on on Australian wine. Uh, so in some ways, uh, a smaller vintage is not necessarily a bad thing for the Australian sector at the moment, but it is too early to say uh, at this point in time exactly what that's going to be looking like because the, the oversupply that we have in Australia is primarily a, a red wine oversupply as opposed to a white wine oversupply because the vast majority of what we were sending to China was red wine. So I think uh, over the next little while, once some figures start coming in, we'll get a much better picture of that. Lee McLean, CEO of Australian Grape and Wine, speaking with David Clawden. And the SA and federal governments have announced some support for farmers affected by the floods. And Australian Grape and Wine are also encouraging grape growers and winemakers to check on their resources on the website. Uh, as well for more information on how to handle the wet conditions in the vines. Now, speaking of support, and Livestock SA wants to hear from flood-affected producers about what they need in terms of fodder. The flooding is making it difficult for those with livestock with limited access to grazing areas, causing feed shortages. Livestock SA President Joe Kane says they want to collect details of those who need help. We've been alerted by primary industries that there may be some producers that uh, are badly or are affected by the floods and uh, have restricted access to um, their wetlands and some fodder and they may need some short-term fodder requirements. So we're actually asking uh, producers that are affected by the floods to, to get in contact with their office and uh, via, the, via an online form on the website or just directly to our office on 0882972299 and just uh, tell us inform us of, of their needs, their emergency fodder needs. Do you have a, a number of, of how many might be affected or is this what you're hoping to, to gather? This, this is what we're, we're hoping to gather. We do, we were in some discussions prior to Christmas and we didn't uh, we weren't aware of any issues so um, we went, went away with, uh, from Christmas uh, thinking that things were fairly okay but uh, coming back we've just been alerted there may be some producers that are actually in, in need of some emergency fodder so this is about scoping that out and seeing what the needs are uh, for this emergency fodder. It'll be for the short term while they get the other arrangements in place, but uh, if we can support them through this, this period, that's uh, what we would like to do. Uh, I do know that primary industries, uh, are all, primary industries uh, regions South Australia are also doing some work to, to find out what the uh, immediate needs are. Joe Keynes, obviously Livestock SA has helped uh, producers in the past when it comes to, to fires and, and those affected by fires. Does it differ to to flood uh, need when it comes to fodder? Well, I, I haven't experienced a flood like this and probably and most of our producers haven't either, but I, I guess the, the real difference is that uh, with a fire you've, you've lost all your fodder overnight and, and so those, those needs, uh, those emergency needs are absolutely critical, whereas probably in a flood you've you've possibly got a little bit more time to do some planning and, and to understand what your needs are. And so we can actually, if there is a need out there, let's let's help where that, where that needs are, are arisen. Is there enough fodder around the state? Are you looking, for, are you hoping that people can help out and, and provide some? So that is the other part of this, is to just understand if there are people out there, or producers and, and members of Livestock SA, we know that in, in times of need, South Australian livestock community is very supportive of, of those that are um, and have, have some uh, have some uh, disaster issues. So uh, I'm I'm absolutely sure that we'll um, be able to uh, ext- you know, get some support from our producers on uh, donating some fodder. But uh, let's see what the need is, and then see if we can meet those needs uh, through donated fodder. So this is a two-way call out: one to find out what the needs are, and then 
to see if we have got some fodder that people are willing to donate and then we'll work on the logistics to ensure that people are those those that are willing to donate can actually uh, we can uh, facilitate that feed uh, getting to the right spots is there a need for other help as well for maybe adjustment for livestock that they can't keep at their property i'm sure there will be a range of uh, needs and and ways that we can facilitate uh, uh, ensuring those people have fodder. We know that the flood will probably be around in in the lower Murray flat, uh, flood zones. Will be there for quite some time, so the, the the fodder needs could be quite quite extensive and and quite long term. So perhaps adjustment would be one of those areas that uh, would be would be required. Livestock SA President Joe Keynes. And if you do need a hand with fodder, you can contact Livestock SA or go to the website to fill out the online form. And same if you've got fodder that you can donate, you can get in touch with Livestock SA as well. Let's find out what's happening in the weather now. We're joined by John Fisher, Senior Forecaster with the Bureau of Meteorology. Good afternoon, John. Good afternoon, Brooke. How are things looking around the state? Yeah, look, uh, still looking at mostly fine conditions across the state. So haven't seen a lot of change in the pattern for the, the last few days now, just a large high to the south. Uh, so that is driving uh, some moderate to fresh southeasterly winds across our state uh, and some cloud across the southern half of the peninsulas, Kangaroo Island and down through the southeast. And for those areas, we are still seeing uh, maximums, you know, well below average for this time of year, uh, down into the, the low 20s. But uh, elsewhere, we are seeing plenty of sun across the state and those temperatures uh, getting up uh, a bit closer to average in the uh, the high 20s or, or touching the uh, the low thir- uh, 30s for the north of the state, uh, and it is that gradient that's driving some some of these fresh sea breezes. So we do still have uh, a number of coastal wind warnings out for for strong winds today, uh, but uh, yeah, look, not looking at uh, any rainfall really to come over the the next few days, uh, and we're, we're gr- just in a general warming trend though so uh, as we move uh, into to Friday there uh, looking at temperatures uh, into the, the low to mid 30s for a lot of the state and will be a sunny day uh, throughout the state tomorrow as those winds tend a little bit more uh, easterly uh, maybe just a uh, strong wind warning for the lower southeast coast but uh, generally a slight easing uh, in winds there uh, and then for the weekend though uh, we do see a trough move across the state so uh, it does look like it gets uh, fairly uh, hot generally so um, temperatures into the the mid to high 30s throughout the state and we will see some coastal sea breezes which uh, it might just take the edge off the the coastal fringe temperatures but still generally uh, hot conditions across the state ahead of that trough but uh, yeah fortunately winds aren't too strong so we're not seeing a a big uh, spike in fire dangers but there will still be uh, some elevated risk uh, with those fire dangers Uh, so yeah that that trough will move across the the state probably later Sunday into Monday and we will see some cooling of the temperatures around the southern agricultural area back into the the, the low to mid uh, 20s around those southern coastal fringes but inland we're not seeing a, a big drop in temperatures so it is quite a, a weak change into early next week with some some warm conditions uh, continuing into the the middle and latter part of next week uh, and, and still dry uh, as well Brook. but uh, up in the the far north of the state we are seeing uh, some cooler conditions and and some uh, rainfall likely to develop associated with the uh, ex-tropical cyclone Ellie so that's still up in the, the north of WA at the moment but uh, heading back uh, eastwards uh, over the weekend and uh, you know it is in the far north so areas north of about uh, Cooper Pedy uh, we'll see some uh, some rain and possible thunderstorm activity uh, Maybe in the far northwest, uh, starting from later Saturday, but more likely uh, into Sunday and Monday. Uh, so, yeah, 
take note if uh, if people are travelling about across the state because yeah certainly to be some impacts across those uh, outback roads in the north and, and up there we, we're likely to see rainfall totals generally less than 20 millimetres but uh, there, there could be some isolated falls uh, in that kind of 20 to 50 millimetres with uh, with some thunderstorms up there but uh, yeah elsewhere across the state Brook uh, it's just uh, kind of this warming trend and, and uh, fine fine weather. Fantastic thanks John for your time this afternoon. Thank you. John Fisher, Senior Forecaster at the Weather Bureau. Quick look at the western inlands. For the upper western, sunny winds southeasterly, 25 to 35 kilometres per hour. Overnight temperatures falling to between 16 and 21, with daytime temperatures reaching the low to mid 30s. For the lower western, sunny with winds southeasterly, 15 to 25 kilometres per hour. Overnight temperatures falling to between 13 and 17, with daytime temperatures reaching the low to mid 30s. That's all we've got time for on the. Uh, country half hour today we'll be uh, heading back to the cricket now i'll be back with you at the same time tomorrow and uh, back to australia versus south africa at the scg fingers crossed for some good light and no rain this afternoon have a good day rest of your thursday speak to you tomorrow i'm brooke nindorf thanks for your company Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.